0: Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. As you all know, on this podcast, I do a lot of promoting of liberty and promoting of capitalism. I've discussed with you how, for the better part of a quarter of a century, I called myself a libertarian, and how, while I have not changed my views, I stopped calling myself that for the reason of not wanting to be associated with people who now go by that name. And I could think of no better person to talk about libertarianism and the libertarian movement than today's guest, who is an attorney, author, and politician. He's the founder of the Future of Freedom Foundation, and he's a current candidate for the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination, a position for which he's ran in the past. And there's a whole list of accolades that I didn't include because we actually have to get to the conversation. (laughs) Jacob Hornberger, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. It, it's I'd, lo- I'd, love to hear, I, I'd love to hear an hour of accolades. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it probably would, but that's probably how long we'd be here
1: for, too. So, wait, wait. Yeah, even if you have to make them up, that's fine with me. <laughs> I
0: don't think I'd have to make them up. I didn't even get to the Foundation for Economic Education or the Senate run. So when you hear libertarianism, or previously it was classical liberalism, what are the basic principles involved?
1: Well, the core principle of the libertarian philosophy is what's called the non-aggression principle. uh, That holds that in a genuinely free society, people would be free to do whatever they want with their lives, so long as their conduct is peaceful, non-fraudulent. In other words, as long as they're not murdering, raping, stealing, uh defrauding people, they should be free to do whatever they want. And the the whole idea of libertarianism is achieving a free society. And when I for before I discovered libertarianism, I'm like most Americans. I honestly believe that I live in a free society. I mean, I, I think most people exemplify Lee Greenwood's famous song where he sings, thank God I'm an American, because at least I know I'm free. And I think that's the mindset of most Americans, and it was my mindset. And then I discovered libertarianism, and I realized, my gosh, I've been lied to all my life. And this was when I was in my late 20s. And it was at that moment when I realized that we don't live in a legitimately free society that I wanted to be free, and you know, that I, I, I just, I wanted to know what it was like to live in a free society before I passed from this earth, and, and that's what I believe libertarianism is overall all about: is achieving a free society.
0: Well, well said. I, I had a similar experience in relation to freedom. The two books that brought me along to the freedom movement were Frederick Bastiat's The Law and Milton Friedman's Free to Choose. And the, the coherence of Bastiat's argument for the, that the purpose of the law or government is just to protect the li- lives, liberty, and property of the citizens. It's not there to educate people. It's not there to provide health care or a, any other thing. Basically, the, the non-aggression principle that you talked about. And Milton Friedman made it a, a strong economic case. Later on, I discovered Ludwig von Mises and Ayn Rand. And Ayn Rand, I thought, made a superior argument to Bastiat's uh, individual rights argument. It was consistent with it. I just thought that she did a better job overall of tying it to reality and to to morality. In Mises, I found to be a vast improvement over Milton Friedman. And I found it interesting because when I asked the question at um, the Connecticut Libertarian Convention, you were in a debate, all the current libertarian candidates for presidents were there, and I asked what books or you know what libertarian thinkers had the biggest impact on you. And you said Leonard Reed, followed by Ayn Rand and Ludwig von Mises, who are basically tied for a close second. And those are the two who have had the strongest impact on me, were Mises and Rand. And it, interestingly, I was introduced, introduced to them both by the Foundation for Economic Education, which was founded by Leonard Reed. And the principles that they put forward, you know, uh, 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 basically a minarchist government that is there to do just what you said. It's not to initiate force against people. It's just to protect us from violence, from criminals. But in many ways, it seems to me what is going for libertarianism today has strayed massively from that. Now I, I've heard you say that you want to. I think you, the word you used was "fix" the libertarian movement. I'm not positive if that was the language, but I think that was the, <laughs> the essence of the meaning. How has it strayed, in your view? And then I'll tell you, you know, some examples of how I think it's strayed.
1: Okay. Well, I, I never use that frame, fix the fix. libertarian <laughs> movement. But that's that. You didn't quit.
0: use the word "fix." I I can't remember the word. Well, I
1: want to restore restore the, it. Maybe was the word restore the original founding principles of this movement and this party. And um, to me, what the Libertarian Party has moved toward in the last 20, 25 years has been an absolute disaster. Um, I call it a reform-oriented, Republican-like message. And that what happened was, I I served on the platform committee three terms when I first joined the Libertarian Party. This was back in nineteen ninety. And if if you give me a chance to explain how that happened, it'll sort sure. kind of put things in context that I, I get it. I just started the Future of Freedom Foundation, which was with the purpose of having an educational foundation that presented this really principal case for libertarianism, drawing on Leonard Reed and Ayn Rand, Ludwig von Mises, Friedrich Hayek, Milton Friedman, and so forth. And I get this call from this activist in the Libertarian Party uh, named Bill Evers, And he says, um, hey, I want to invite you to serve on the platform committee of the Libertarian Party. And I said, not interested. And he says, why? And I said, well, you know, I don't know very much about the Libertarian Party, but I know it's a political party, and therefore it's going to be watering down principles and compromising principles for the sake of getting votes. And he says, well, have you ever read a the party platform. And I, and I said, no, I, and I don't need to because I know what it is. It's just a collection of ad hoc public policy reform oriented positions designed to get votes that compromise the, the true principles of libertarianism. So he says, let me send you a copy. So a few days later, I get the copy of the platform in the mail and I'm like stunned. I mean, I, I'm just shocked. I mean, this is a pure libertarian manifesto you know open borders abolish social security abolish medicare abolish the cia abolish fei and and in other words identifying what the real infringements on liberty are and getting rid of them instead of reforming them and i called him up and i said i didn't ask how many members there were i didn't ask how much money they had how much how many votes they were getting none of that mattered to me what mattered to me was that this was a political party that was truly standing for the genuine principles of of liberty in the in the political arena so i said i'd gladly take the position if it's still available and he said it is so i served three terms and i and i saw in those three terms that there was a movement of foot in the party to move the the party in the direction of watering down the principles reform oriented positions and the argument was we need to get votes we're a political party and there was even some people that wanted to abolish the platform. They said that, that the, the radical positions in the platform were costing us votes. And my argument is, are you kidding? Our platform is our protection against candidates, LP candidates that are out there, uh, that are not being exhorted to stick with principle, that, that didn't seem to be important, that were just trying to get votes. And so if you've got a Libertarian Party candidate that says, well, I'm, I favor the war on Iraq, Our platform, when the press comes to us and says, hey, this guy's out there advocating the war in Iraq, well, that's not our position as a party. Well, over the years, that faction ended up prevailing to the point where today the predominant mindset in this party is reform-oriented and Republican-like. I'll give you some examples. School vouchers is a premier example. You couldn't find a better example. Of a socialist reform vehicle than school vouchers. It's, it's based on the initiation of force. It violates the libertarian non-aggression principle. And yet it is the predominant mindset in the party. And, and what's interesting, there are actually LP members who believe that this is a genuine founding principle of the party. And, and they and they they say, they'll say, we we don't compromise in the party, we advocate vouchers. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, my gosh, they truly believe that. You know, it's like shocking. There is people that call for the continuation or what they call the gradual phase out of Social Security. And what they mean by that is 30 to 50 year phase out um, because they say there's a contract with people. So here you have this gigantic socialist program. The party stands against socialism ostensibly and then says, but we have to continue socialism for the next 30, 50, 70 years, because there's been a contract made with socialism. Uh, the borders, and here's another classic example. There's people in the party that now call for immigration controls. This is a socialist system of central planning total failure, actually bigger than the war on drugs in terms of failure to achieve its purported end, which is keeping out people that that come without permission. You've got a massive police state along the border, warrantless searches of ranches and farms and highway checkpoints. You've got libertarians that are honestly saying that system is libertarian. It's part of our original founding principles. And I'm sitting there saying, oh my gosh. So we, we can just go across the board that what the message of the Libertarian Party and to a large extent the Libertarian movement has become is one of Republican-like reform, reform proposals that are designed to appeal to Republicans, to conservatives, that, have, that are a- actually the antithesis of the genuine principles of liberty. And so what I'm arguing is that, look, not only is this a reason why you're only getting 1% of the vote maximum that there is no constituency for this vote, for this kind of candidacy, and at least in the presidential race, but also in the Senate and U.S. House races. There's no constituency for it. It violates the core principle of our philosophy in our party and the vow that everybody takes. Keep in mind that in the Libertarian Party, you everybody's got to sign a pledge that says, I will not support the initiation of force. And yet- all of these positions do exactly that and so that's what i'm running on is is i'm saying if we want to get a major breakout in the vote totals we need to restore the true pure genuine principles of liberty on which our party was founded and um, that's also how we lead america to liberty that's our job in the libertarian party is to lead america to liberty you can't do that with these reform proposals
0: Okay, you said a lot. So I'm going to tell you some of the things that have happened in my thinking of late. I was a spokesperson for a brief period of time for the Libertarian Party of Connecticut. One day I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across a meme. And it was a picture of the the Unabomber wanted posters when they used to have the the sketch with the glasses and the, the hood on. And it was, this was posted by the Alabama Mises caucus and it quoted the Unabomber and then said, rest in peace, uncle Ted. Now this is a murderer you're talking about. And for a a subset of the libertarian party to be like quoting him approvingly like that, and then using the nickname uncle Ted, I thought was disgusting. So I contacted the leadership of the Connecticut party and I said, we've got to disavow that. I don't, you know they're they're called libertarians. I don't want to be associated with that. And he said, "Well, we usually really don't get involved in that." I said, "Okay, well then I, I'm done. I'm not going to be a part of that." But I continued to call myself a libertarian because I have for many years. And then I would see the the Mises Caucus and the, the National Party just continually bashing israel right after the attack now i'm not for foreign aid i don't think the united states should be sending money to israel i don't think we should be sending troops over to israel but they nevertheless were attacked on october 7th and my view was they have a right and is they have a right to defend themselves but the mises caucus just kept attacking them in fact i went to their their twitter feed and like three quarters of it was tweets against Israel rather than promoting Austrian economics, freedom of speech, or, or or liberty. Then, now the reason the Mises Caucus is relevant is because they you know essentially took over the Libertarian Party. They're they're the I don't know if, I don't want to use the word edge lords, but they're the the chiefs right now. Then they endorsed their endorsed candidate for president is a guy that is anti immigration in anti-abortion like what are you doing i mean it's like you said it was originally in the platform open borders that's a natural rights and individual rights issue and they're trying to guise it in property rights the candidate said to me on twitter it's a property rights issue the the people of this country own that property the, the public property so they have a right to tell people not to come in And I'm thinking, well, by that logic, then on any public property, the government can shut down your speech, your right to bear arms, whatever they want, by just saying it's private property. And uh, is that the type of stuff that you're talking about? Or have you not seen this type of stuff?
1: Well, it's on a different level uh, from what I'm talking about, because you've raised a lot of separate issues here. Um, On this uh, Ted Kaczynski quote, I'm not familiar with that. Um, And so I you know I, I didn't know they did that but assuming they did th- this is what i think is going on they you, you've got this bad message that has been going out in this party for 20 or 25 years uh in the president especially in the presidential races this this message of reform and republican light that i've been talking about and where there's there's actually a rejection um, some people even loathe the, the genuine principles of the party which I stand for. I mean, the, the principles that I'm enunciating in my campaign, nobody can deny that these are the genuine, pure principles of the party and the movement. But what what I find fascinating there's is that there's people that loathe these principles, actually loathe them, and I'm sitting there saying this is really bizarre. You know, why are you in, why join a political party when you loathe the principles? Why not join the another party where you love the principles? But this message has been such a failure. I mean, 1% is the maximum. The Wall Street Journal poll just came out brand new about three or four days ago that the Libertarian Party presidential candidate in the poll gets 1%. And that confirms the same poll that was done three months ago by the journal, 1%. Our presidential candidate three years ago got 1%. Two of my competitors got one and 2% in their races for Congress. Well, there's been this frustration of why don't more people vote for us and um, there's been different theories oh we haven't gotten our message out well i hold that's pure nonsense and we have gotten this message out the problem is people don't like the message and and i don't like the message either i'm with the 99 percent who reject the message but what what has happened in this frustration where they say, oh, well, everybody's a libertarian. You hear that often. Everybody's got a libertarian streak in them, Jacob, right? Well, okay, if that's the case, why do 99% of them vote against this message? Well, the reason is I hold because they know it's a bad message and I'm with them. It is a bad message. But what, what these candidates do and what they teach them at these training sessions is, is the problem is we haven't gotten our message out. And so they turn to this macho flash type thing where they want to... They feel like they have to get attention to our message. They think that, oh, well, people don't know our message. So they make these radical statements, shocking statements that are designed to get attention. And then the idea is, oh, well, once we get the attention, because we can't afford to you know, buy advertising and so forth, we're a small party. People will then like our message once they see our message. Well, it never works because what they don't understand is that not only do those kind of messages turn people off, but that's not the problem. The problem is not that people don't know our message. It's that they do know our message and have concluded that it's a bad message. Now, on this, on this, this issue of immigration, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you, here you have a classic example of the non-aggression principle crossing a border. I mean, when I drove to New Jersey um, and, um, and Connecticut, I traveled through a lot of state borders, across those borders on the highway. And when I cross those borders, they would say like, welcome to Delaware. There were no border guards there at all. I just crossed the border. So I didn't violate anybody's rights uh, by crossing a border. And the same applies to any political border. Anybody that crosses a border does not violate the libertarian non-aggression principle. Well, what, what, uh, Michael Rechtenwald, um, who is a fierce advocate of America's socialist immigration system and immigration police state, despite the fact that he's an anarchist, which I find very fascinating, um, that what he claims is this this weird formulation where he says that in an anarchist society, everything would be privately owned and therefore there would be no foreigners coming in because private owners would not let them uh, cross their property. What he ignores in this formulation, which I consider very weird, is private roads. That there's roads that are still going to connect people to businesses and to other properties sure. and stuff because you have to go from place to place and you do that with roads. Well, there's no reason to believe that private owners of roads are, are going to be discriminating against foreigners. Uh, you don't see Walmart discriminating against foreigners or Target or Giant Foods, or any other business. You don't see signs up there that says, we don't serve foreigners uh, because they want to make money. They want more customers. Sure. So in a in that anarchy society that this guy's talking about, and this is the fallacy of their formulation, the probability is that Target, Walmart, and all these huge you know, stores would own the roads because they would be facilitating customers to their businesses and and so the the chances that they would exclude foreigners is ridiculous and what what they're doing these people that advocate this anarchy type system is they're imputing their prejudice against immigrants to owners of businesses and other houses that rent to foreigners and so forth which is of course ridiculous but the fact is we don't live in that anarchist society we live in a government uh, where the government owns the roads and the bridges and we don't want government to be discriminating against anybody on the basis of anything, race, color, creed, national origin. The, the government facility should be open to everyone and including foreigners. So people should be free to cross the international bridge, like at my hometown of Laredo, Texas, just cross like regular human beings, traveling, walking, driving their car, and heading up north in other parts of the country, thereby complying with the libertarian non-aggression principle. But what these in- immigration control advocates, like Reckenthal want, is a massive government presence there that initiates force against people who are conducting this Peaceful activity, along with the massive police state. I mean, this guy wants to complete Trump's Berlin wall down there. Uh, This is how ferocious he is on this thing. So this is a classic example of where right-wingers have come into our party with their baggage. And instead of abandoning their baggage and saying, I'll accept the libertarian principle of open borders, which has been the party's principles and the principles of the libertarian movement for well over 50 years they say we want the libertarian party to join up with the republicans and and for that matter the democrats too because the democrats favor this system too so that all of us would be on the same page and if that day comes michael it will be a tragic day in the history of this party i mean they succeeded the 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 watered down people succeeded in getting abolished from the platform the provisions that call for the abolition of the cia the fbi but if they succeed in getting this provision abolished, of open borders where the Libertarian Party is now standing with the Republicans on this page. It will be an absolute tragic day in the history of this party because we are the beacon of light. We are the beacon of hope for these people that are dying and suffering as a result of this police state along the border and this immigration, socialist immigration system. And I will fight vehemently to maintain the purity of this position in the Libertarian Party. We can lead the world to freedom on this particular issue. Know, the, let me just find let me just wrap this ahead. up. This open borders is the only solution to this crisis. I've seen this crisis all my life. I grew up on the border. I spent almost half my life there. I've seen this crisis. I've seen the death, the suffering, the police state what people don't realize is that open borders is the only solution. You you adopt open borders today, the entire crisis disappears tomorrow. Just like with the drug war. You want to mm-hmm. get rid of the cartels, You legalize drugs today, the cartels disappear tomorrow. And and the whole drug war crisis disappears. That's the only solution.
0: Well said. Another uh, problem that I see. Now, the the authors that you're talking about, Hayek, Friedman, those aren't two of my favorites, but they they do say some good stuff. But Mises, Rand, uh, the the classicals, you know, uh, Bastiat, John Locke, the founding fathers of this country, they have really good arguments for liberty but it's an intellectual case there seems to be what i what i've come to call pop culture libertarianism out there where people who aren't aware of the arguments for libertarianism nonetheless call themselves libertarians and it leads to real confusion and and i'll give you an example and i'd like to get your take on it i've always considered free speech and going back to Milton free speech was an issue of the government preventing speech where the, the idea was, I have the right to speak, the government doesn't have the right to stop me. It doesn't mean that I come into your home and I can say whatever I want, or that I could go into a restaurant and just start spouting off whatever I want, or that a radio host has to give me a microphone to speak on a show. Now, Alex Jones was recently let back on X by Elon Musk not my business. If Elon Musk owns X or you know he has stockholders and they choose to let him on, that's their concern, not mine. But a lot of these pop culture libertarians are touting this as a victory for free speech. Now, on the face of it, maybe someone says, well, who cares? It's just a, you know misuse of language. The problem is it, it implies that Alex Jones and other people have a right to be on social media platforms, a free speech right. If that's the case, then private ownership gets smacked down. Now, the the, the retort they often make is, yeah, but the government has been involved in sort of pressuring these social media companies. Okay, then let's argue against that. Because in that case, the government is violating the private property rights of social media companies by dictating to them what they can and can't do. Whenever I get into this on social media, and I try to explain this point to people calling themselves libertarians... They say free speech means speech that you might not like. Of course it does. The government should not be getting involved in who says what to whom, regardless of what it is. I, I agree. But that does not mean you have a right to a platform. First of all, I, I, I'm assuming you agree with me, but I might be wrong. Do you agree with me? And if so, like, what is the cause of this confusion? Because I think it's harmful to the libertarian perspective and the liberty movement in general.
1: Uh, I do agree with you, and it's very, very, what you state is very well stated. Uh, you're absolutely right that censorship applies only when the government's involved. And um, you have the, for example, the First Amendment that Congress shall pass no law respecting the freedom of speech. That's Congress uh, to, to a certain extent, they, they, it encompasses the entire federal government. But that's when we talk about censorship, we're talking about government telling people what they can say or can't say and so forth. When private individuals are saying things or prohibiting people from saying things or whatever at their place of business, that has nothing to do with censorship and freedom of speech. This is the exercise of private property rights. So, for example, if if Walmart has a sign that says, Anybody that comes in this store cannot um, advocate for um, gun rights. Well, that's Walmart's right, because they own the facility. They're not infringing on anybody's freedom of speech. There's no free speech infringements here. That This is them exercising their right of private ownership. And if the customer doesn't like that rule... He doesn't have to go in. This, you know, example of this is that famous saying that the Supreme Court brought up once you cannot cry fire in a crowded theater. Right. Well, that's absolute nonsense. You can cry fire in a crowded theater if the theater owner says you can. It's up to the theater owner, not not anybody else. Now, if customers say, well, we don't want to go to that theater if anybody can cry cry, uh, fire, fine but it's a property rights issue. And I think you're absolutely right that the, that the libertarians that are not thinking very deeply here that say, oh no, if, if X bars a person from saying what he wants on Twitter, that means he's censoring him or violating his rights of freedom of speech. That's pure nonsense. He is exercising his right of ownership. It's no different from me sending an op-ed to the Washington Post uh, advocating libertarian principles. And they say, thank you, Mr. Hornberger, we decline to publish your op-ed. They are not censoring me. They're not violating my right of free speech. Uh, it, it's the same with you on your show. If you have somebody that come up to you who's a statist and says, I want to appear in your podcast to expound my point of view, you have a right to say no. And so uh, I think that it's critically important that if we're going to let people know what we stand for as libertarians, that there be a clear understanding of what libertarianism is all about and this is one of my beasts with the party you know they they spend a lot of time on training sessions tons of times on training sessions on how to get you know signatures for ballot initiatives or how to go door to door and but i very rarely see training sessions on how to get the message right <laughs> yeah you know and to me your ideal in the party would be to have libertarian candidates across the board all having the same message the libertarian message rather than this hodgepodge of oh his speech rights are being violated because he got barred on twitter and but but i also agree with you also on the point you made which is an excellent point that to the extent that government is interfering with these private companies in one way or another that's where the focus should be stopping government from doing this right
0: you know there was uh, at the uh Connecticut Libertarian Convention is where actually where I met you. They brought in some of these what I would call pop culture libertarians, and two of them that spoke. The first one was uh, Josie, the redheaded libertarian, and she referred to the invasion on the border, which to me is so anti-libertarian. It's it it doesn't even deserve to be talked about. I I you know I think I actually asked her on uh, Twitter. Where does the federal government derive its authority to regulate immigration? Because it's certainly not in Article One, Section Eight, you know. And then the uh, the other guy was um, Clint Russell, I believe his name is, and he was talking about COVID conspiracies about how the it was created and then released. And I just it was sitting there thinking, okay, so one person gets the liberty message dead wrong. And the other person, instead of arguing for principles, is trafficking in unproven conspiracies. What was the point of this? Did the party have them there simply because they're pop culture and can reach another audience? Because from my view, to if you, it doesn't matter how big the audience you reach is if you're not reaching them with the correct principles. If you bring them along and then they get them to start voting libertarian, but what they're voting for are immigration restrictions and COVID conspiracies. You haven't accomplished anything. So I, I guess, I mean, like, my my question to you ultimately is, what is the way out of here? How do we, those of us who actually advocate for liberty, now, you know, I, I consider myself an objectivist, for instance, uh, in the tradition of Ayn Rand. I love Ludwig von Mises' economics. Hell, I even like Rothbard's economics, but I'm no anarchist. But there's a lot of minarchists I'm getting a little technical. Small government people who believe the purpose of government is to protect the lives, liberty, and property of its citizens. There's a lot of people like that that aren't objectivists, but I could work with them just fine. I don't have to agree with them on everything under the sun as long as we can agree that the purpose of government is to do these things, right? But this thing has gone just haywire. So how can we get it so those of us who are actually for liberty can get our message out and make some headway. What can we do, and what can people listening do?
1: We do what we're doing right now, like in this show, and what I'm doing with my campaign. I mean, I'm trying to raise people's vision of what a genuinely free society is, because it has got corrupted. That vision has gotten corrupted. This this um, example that you used, and and you know, I, I I can't verify. She said that I wasn't really listening closely mm-hmm. that evening, but. If she really said that these are invaders, that immigrant, illegal immigrants are invaders, that's your classic Republican position. I mean, it's just classic Republican that, that illegal immigrants are invaders. Yeah. And well, they're not invaders. Let me tell you what an invader is. An invader is what the U.S. government did to the people of Iraq. Bombs, missiles, death, destruction, uh, destroy, destroying homes, killing people. Uh, that's an invasion. When people are peacefully crossing a border, especially in, in an attempt to save their lives or the lives of their families or, or, or to improve the lives of their families, these are just, that's all that is. They're, they're simply engaging in a peaceful act of crossing the border. Now, obviously, under today's system, they do trespass on farms and ranches because they're trying to circumvent the police state down there. But in a, in a regime of totally open borders, you, there's no trespassing anymore, because people can cross at the established crossing points, the International Bridge, for example, at my hometown of Laredo. But it's also highly dangerous to engage in this rhetoric of invaders, because there's these wackos that believe that, and, and they're a little off kilter. That's that guy that went down to El Paso and killed, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 Hispanics, because in his mind, these are invaders, and if your country's being invaded, we all know you got a right to kill invaders. And uh, I mean, that's a general principle of war. So these little off kilter people take these kind of pronouncements that these are invaders and they go to town with them and start shooting people. And that's the last thing we, we as a libertarian movement should be advocating either directly or indirectly. So yeah, our, our, our battle is a battle over methodology. Now, I forget the, the other example you used. What was it? With just Clint? a just the
0: conspiracy stuff. Oh, yeah. It, it's not something I, I yeah. would get into an argument about. It just has nothing to do with promoting liberty. Unless you're just going to say the government shouldn't be involved in COVID mandates or, or lockdowns or you know forced vaccination. All of those are principles of liberty. But to me, those are true principles, no matter how good the vaccine is and no matter where the virus comes from the government shouldn't be doing that type of stuff. So when he said that we have a virus that was created and released, that's just detracts from the message and quite frankly, makes people think you're nuts.
1: Well, you know, th- there are there are instances where the evidence establishes uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, or maybe even with a lower standard of clear and convincing evidence that something has happened. But my my feeling is that that evidence does not exist in the COVID thing. It, it may still surface and then people can establish that. But I agree with you. I think that what we should be focusing on is, is not how this virus got started, but the government's response to the virus. And th- that was where the destruction of liberty took place. And But here's another beef I have with my opponents in this race and, and generally the message of the Libertarian Party. It, it was almost entirely focused on opposing the mandates, that, that they shouldn't have a mask mandate. They shouldn't have a, um, a vaccine mandate. Fine. We, we can all agree with that as libertarians. But they would then take it a step further and they would start condemning people for taking the vaccine yes. or, 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 or using masks. And that has absolutely nothing to do with libertarianism. Libertarianism is people should be free to make these decisions on their own. Right. And so when you start going and condemning people for their choices, it's not a very good uh, political move either, because those people are going to be alienated. They're not going to like you doing that. And you're, you're, you're not going to garner their votes. And so my position is, look, let's just establish the free society without condemning the choices that people make. But finally, and here's the big thing that, and this is where my campaign stands out against my competitors, is that what we really need to do is raise people's vision to what a really free society is in healthcare. That's getting government entirely out of the healthcare businesses, especially with a constitutional amendment that separates healthcare in the state. And which, by the way, also abolishes Medicare and Medicaid and occupational licensure. In other words, we separate healthcare in the state at both the state and the federal level, like we've done with religion. And therefore, we no longer have to worry about the state because otherwise it becomes a whack a mole issue where you're having to hit this mandate or that mandate or that mandate. Once it's enshrined in the Constitution that the government doesn't have authority to get involved in healthcare, now we're talking about a genuinely free society.
0: One last, well, not one last question, but one of my last questions it has to do with this idea of decentralization because that's big. That's what Rectonwald's Wald's big thing, the decentralization movement. And I responded to, to him this morning and I said, I'm not all that concerned with decentralization as an end in itself. What I'm concerned with is liberty. I, I'd rather advocate for a government that's going to protect the lives, liberty and property of its citizens. In other words, individual rights and capitalism. The thing is, with decentralization, there's no guarantee that these local governments are going to be based on liberty, or going to enshrine liberties. They might, they can, local governments can be just as tyrannical as the federal government. Now, if you're arguing for uh, federalism as a means to restrict government power, I'm okay with that. It can go haywire at times as it did with the Jim Crow laws, but it, it is a weapon in the arsenal to, to limit government but the decentralized folks seem to be advocating as that's the goal rather than individual
1: liberty being the goal. That's a really fascinating insight that you have because Rechtenwald has an interesting um, overall paradigm to which he subscribes. And I believe there is no constituency for his paradigm at all. I, I think if he were to be made the nominee, we would might well get the lowest vote total in the history of the party, back to the 0.01, 0.02 type thing. And the reason is this. He he subscribes to the, the paradigm of anarchy. Okay, some libertarians do that. But it's not a full anarchy because he believes in the immigration police state, immigration socialism, the central planning that goes into the immigration police state. He wants to complete Trump's Berlin Wall um, so he's not a full anarchist at the, at the federal level, and I don't think he also would dismantle the national security state, although he might uh, say that, but he needs the military and the giant military establishment to fortify his border, just like Trump and, and, and Biden and DeSantis do, because clearly what they have, the police state they've established, isn't working. There's still people getting through on a massive level. And so they have to turn to the military. And so does Rechtenwald because he, he's on their same page on that. But right. then he's not a full anarchist at the state and local level. He favors government at the state level and the local level. And I agree with you that if your message does not remain focused on the principles of liberty, then it comes across that you, you believe the state should be sovereign. In other words, we're going to have 50 state sovereign tyrannical regimes because they're not gonna have any concept of what a free society is. They're gonna have drug laws, they're gonna have welfare state programs, they're gonna install socialist systems because we haven't done our job in the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement of focusing on what a genuinely free society is. If, if If we focus on that, then people, we reach a critical mass of people that say, we want freedom at all levels of government. And then finally, this notion, well, not finally, because there's two other points I want to make. They, Rechtenwald and Heis, his campaign manager, want to take over the public schools. And they, they've made that part of their campaign that he's going to be, if he's the nominee, he's going to go across America and get libertarians to run for school boards so they can take over the public schools of America. This is really bizarre for me because public schooling is your crown jewel of socialism at the state and local level. And so we're, we're now going to send out a message that libertarians are going to take over and run this socialist system better than Democrats and Republicans? That's a horrific message. We should be arguing for the separation of school and state, why the state has no role in education. I mean, this is the, the centers of indoctrination and, and regimentation and deference to authority. This is one of the real root problems we face in this country. And the final thing is this concept of nullification, um, <laughs> they, they essentially want the state governments to nullify whatever the federal government does. And so, for example, that New Mexico governor that recently um, issued a decree that severely violated gun rights and a federal judge immediately stepped in under the grounds of the 14th Amendment, which incorporates the Bill of Rights and enjoined her from doing that. Under their nullification concept, that governor would be able to nullify what that federal judge sure. did. I think that's a bad system. That's a real bad system because I love the Fourteenth Amendment because it provides an additional bite at the apple for stopping states from infringing on on rights like licensure laws and things like that. They would they would they would have that nullification entirely um, from where the state government now becomes the tyrannical regimes, 50-state tyrannical regimes. I'm totally opposed to that kind of system.
0: This other idea of, uh, it's similar to the nullification, the secession movement. Uh, They they are for secession down to the individual level. And my problem with secession is this. It's that if I want to secede, if, if I take my state and I say, okay, let's have a referendum and we decide to secede, we're going to be taking people who are against secession. So now we're violating their rights. And how far are you going to take this? It's going to end up just a total mess where this one secedes here, this one secedes here. I just think it's far better to stay on the message of government protecting individual rights. Now, I don't know what your your uh, take on secession is, but w- well, w- what is it? And do you think it's good messaging?
1: Well, I do believe people have a right to secede, but there there are practical problems, as you point out. Is that if a state wants to secede, what's the percentage of vote? Um, is it seventy five percent, ninety percent? Those are practical problems. Um, but look, this was settled. Uh, you know, in eighteen sixty four, it was settled. I mean, there was what eight hundred thousand people killed in the Civil War. And there is no possibility whatsoever that the federal government is going to permit states to secede today. And to me, to focus on this issue is so irrelevant when you've got so much big issues. I mean, this is like a, a reform type thing, a governmental reform proposal. Uh, people being able to secede, which doesn't guarantee a free society at all, as we've already been talking about. Your, your secessioned state may be more tyrannical from the, than the state that is seceding from. My point in this race is we need to stay focused on the big important issues of freedom that are facing our country. Um, first of all, freedom generally, but also the killer state that we live under the federal government, the killing machine. I want to bring an end to that. Invasions, occupations, state sponsored assassinations, coups, assassinations, the drug war, immigration controls. That's where the focus should be of of showing people, look where we've gone wrong. Socialism, socialism of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, which has been highly destructive, not just fiscally speaking, but psychologically speaking. There's an entire large section of America that is hopelessly dependent on these socialist programs. They think America, including Libertarian Party presidential candidates who are convinced that Americans would die in the streets if we just suddenly repeal these programs. That's where I want the focus to be, not on all these other things of nullification, which, by the way, requires a constitutional amendment because the Constitution doesn't provide for nullification. Secession, which would require a constitutional amendment. Why get embroiled in all these irrelevancies when we've got these massive infringements on liberty that we should be focusing people's attention on?
0: Well said once again. All right, Jacob, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have or anything you didn't get to say that you would have liked to?
1: No, I think that's it. That has been a great interview. Thank you very much for asking some very pointed and very relevant questions
0: Thank as you. far as,
1: as where this, this country is going and where this party is going.
0: So where can people find you and find your writings and everything you're about?
1: Well, in my campaign, it's jacobforliberty.com, and if you want to see my 34 years of articles and the work that we've done at the Future of Freedom Foundation, that's at fff.org, and um, that's the principal place where people can find what I've done with with liberty and advancing liberty and libertarianism throughout my life, or until uh, uh, after I discovered libertarianism when I was in my late 20s.
0: Jacob, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for answering my questions. And more importantly, thank you for your work in advancing the cause of liberty. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. I greatly enjoyed the interview. Thanks for the good questions.
0: For now, this is The Rational Egoist signing out. I'm Michael Leibowitz. Remember, please leave your comments. I really want to know what you think. It helps the show. It helps me. Till next time.